This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Hello out there, Michigan Radio Land. Well, only... Three weeks on the job, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson is on the warpath. Ms. Benson has been negotiating an agreement, it turns out, uh, at the end of last week, early this week, negotiating an agreement among an all-Democrat cast of political actors to settle a federal lawsuit alleging that Michigan's congressional and legislative district maps have been gerrymandered since 2011. Now, no court up to this point in the past decade has ever found that to be true, but Jocelyn Benson presses ahead. Any proposed settlement uh, that is brokered by Jocelyn Benson, former Michigan Democratic Party Chairman Mark Brewer, who was one of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit, and the pro-Democratic Party League of Women Voters would require approval by a three-judge federal panel overseeing the case. Now, former Chairman Brewer claims that the Michigan Republican Party's charges that the settlement has been negotiated in secret is mistaken. And that in any event, and these are Mark Brewer's words, quote, any settlement is going to have to be approved by the court, unquote. What Mark Brewer doesn't mention is that at least two of the three judges on this three-judge panel are Democratic appointees who would almost certainly side with the Benson and company side of any argument. Now, under the revised settlement proposal put forth by Benson and, for that matter, Brewer, new maps would have to be drawn for next year's election for nine U.S. House seats. That's nine congressional seats, 10 seats in the state Senate, and 15 in the state House. At least that many. Perhaps all 14 congressional districts would have to be redrawn, perhaps all 38 in the state Senate, perhaps all 110 in the state House. We don't know. The state Senate contest would be special because, remember, senators were elected to what voters thought would be four-year terms last November. So in the middle of what they thought would be four-year terms, these incumbent senators and or others would be running in special elections next year for two-year terms through the end of 2022. Uh, All of these redrawn districts would be in play only in the 2020 election, after which time, I think everybody knows by now, new districts would again be drawn by an independent citizens commission created by a constitutional amendment approved by voters in the same general election. These new maps, that would be three maps in the space of three years, 
would then go into effect for 2022 and beyond. It's a hot mess. Who would draw the maps? Nobody knows for sure. Maybe the legislature would get first crack at it, but after that, if their maps are not approved by the court, who knows what might happen. Speculation abounds. Democratic lawmakers might be just as imperiled as Republicans. For the first time under the 1963 Constitution, that's the one we're operating under right now, some senators would be running for terms of only two years in districts that will be altered two years later when the lawmakers must run again. Now, uh, beyond the redistricting issue, which is a big one, uh, Secretary of State Benson has also asked her sister constitutional officer, Attorney General Dana Nessel, they were both elected on the same day, last November 6th, Benson has asked Nessel to issue an opinion on the constitutionality of a controversial new law changing the rules on how organizations must gather petition signatures for proposed constitutional amendments and initiatives. Now, this petition law, uh, which is, by the way, Public Act 608 of 2018, signed by Governor Rick Snyder just before he left office. Benson said she had been looking at the law and, quote, will be seeking an opinion from the Attorney General on its constitutionality, unquote. She's taking that step as she prepares to implement the measure along with other changes the legislature made in its controversial lame duck session last month. The act, this petition reform act, now put limits on how many signatures gathered in a congressional district count towards the final total needed to place either an initiated act or a constitutional amendment on the ballot. No congressional district can contribute more than 15% of the total number of signatures needed for a proposal, even if far more signatures are gathered in that particular district. Opponents of the bill, which was one of the last signed by Governor Rick Snyder, uh, said it would be a mess to implement as it would change how signatures are collected by county uh, in congressional districts, which is something opponents said most individuals would not know offhand, as well as putting a limit on the number of signatures that would count from a congressional district, which opponents also said could violate equal protection. Supporters of the bill, these are the people who supported the bill, and by the way, they were almost entirely Republicans. Democrats opposed this bill. This public act, Public Act 608 of 2018, supporters and the prime sponsor was State Representative Jim Lauer of Montcalm County. And he was on this program several weeks ago explaining the new act. It would prevent moneyed interests, he says, from coming into the state to put their priorities on the ballot. Many of the supporters were business organizations. This is the people who support the new act. Uh, 
and they're upset that provisions increasing the state's minimum wage and allowing workers to earn sick leave were going to go on the 2018 ballot until the legislature enacted them. Uh, That in of itself was controversial because that's what the legislature did in its lame duck session. And so obviously the supporters of the so-called reform restriction act believe that it had become too easy for out of state organizations to spend millions of dollars to back potential ballot proposals at odds with what the reform bill supporters claim is public opinion in Michigan on a lot of major issues. In other words, Michigan people are not really behind many of these proposals, say the supporters of the new reform law. Out-of-state people are, or if people in Michigan are in favor of ballot proposals that they want to get through the legislature and or get approved by the voters on the ballot, they need huge help from out of state, dollars and everything else. And this new public act supposedly would make it harder for them to achieve that. So we'll wait for an opinion from Dana Nessel. I think you can be pretty sure she will say there's something in it that's unconstitutional. And that will probably be challenged in court. So this is going to go on for months, perhaps years. I'll be back in a minute with a special guest. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back, and we've got a very special guest here uh, today. Uh, She is State Representative Michelle Hoytinga of the 102nd State House District. Representative Hoytinga, welcome to the Political Insider. Good morning. Well, let me me. me, uh, just start out by trying to explain what I think is your district, 102nd District. It's difficult for a lot of people around the state. There are 110 state house districts, and they change every 10 years. And uh, yours is a kind of, to me, strangely shaped district where you've got two complete counties. You've got Wexford on the north, and that includes the city of Cadillac, and it also includes your hometown, Manton, right? Yes. Correct. And then it goes south uh, and takes in kind of like the western half or portion of Osceola County, like Reed City. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. And then it goes down and it takes in all of Macosta County, and that includes Big Rapids, right? Absolutely. Well, Bulldogs. Yeah, exactly. So you have got both Cadillac and Big Rapids in your district. Which one is bigger in population? Uh, Big Rapids. Rapids has the student population, so citizen-wise, they, they're a bigger um, population down there. Yeah, well, let me ask, how, I mean, you are way up in the northern portion of Wexford County in a very small town of Manton, M-A-N-T-O-N. You were mayor of Manton, I think, at one time. Correct. Uh, and you had a very skimpy base when you ran 
Back in 2016, you had some uh, Republican primary opponents, and yet you prevailed. How did you pull that off? I did because I did so good my first term. But actually, I am a eighth generation here up in northern Michigan, same county, Wexford County. So I have a really deep family base. Um, I come from a family of business owners in the area. So I have a really good uh, good base. Are there a lot of Hoytingas up there? There are, yes. Those wow. Are my in-laws, and those are the, the Dutch portion of the family. So... <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. Um, I think you were chair of the Communications and Technology Committee in the House as a freshman in your first term, which is quite impressive. And I guess you uh, have been appointed to be chair again, right? Yes, I'm so honored. Um, I knew a lot of committees were being merged, so I knew mine was on the chopping block, probably to be merged back with energy. And uh, I really fought hard to keep it separated because we have more work to do. And spending two years um, learning, you know, about broadband and all the ins and outs and what needs to be accomplished, we just didn't get everything done. So I'm ready to get back at it. Well, don't you also or haven't you in the past run an energy consulting business yourself? Yes. Yes. We, uh, we own a uh, oil and gas consulting company, and we drill oil, and my husband travels around the state and... and uh, Actually, we travel around the nation drilling. And you've got a son who's a Marine. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yes. So a military family, huh? Absolutely. My uncles were all Marines, and we're a family of Marines. Okay. And also, I I would count you among the quartet of uh, pro-gun female Republican legislators, uh, Mary Whiteford uh, from South Haven, I think uh, Representative Pam Hornberger from Chesterfield Township in Macomb County, and Sue Aller and Wolverine up around Alpena. The four of you have been really pretty strongly pro-gun rights. Is that correct? Absolutely. Um, I run the Wexford County Women on Target, so we shoot um, guns, just women, a group of women, and uh, as of yesterday, we are starting up the Second Amendment caucus, and so I will be co-chairing that. We are picking a Democrat who is pro-gun. Um, Speaker Catfield is going to pick that person, and he'll announce that. And we're going to get our Second Amendment caucus started up this week. Wow. How many members on the caucus, do you think? Last year, we had almost every Republican in that room, um, and we had a handful of uh Democrats. You know, Scott DeAnda was there with us, and and we agreed on a lot of stuff. So well, I'm looking forward to getting this rolling. Yeah, Scott DeAnda was term limited, of course, uh, so he's no longer in the House. I mean, how many uh, pro-gun Democrats are there that you could think of that could potentially be members of this caucus? Well, I'm looking at their NRA rating scores. And there was a handful of them. I, I believe we counted five of them that had uh, above the average grading. So that's encouraging to me. Okay. And, and let's get into the subject that I want to specifically ask you about. Don't you have a bill that you've either introduced or you're about to introduce that involves uh, stun guns or tasers? I, look, I'm really dumb when it comes to guns. Mm-hmm. I really do not know much about guns. So will you explain this to me? 
Absolutely. So as we just said that, I, I carry. I carry everywhere I go. So I have a firearm on me for self-protection. But not all women are comfortable. Um, it's a lethal form of protection. And so stun guns are a non-lethal form of self-protection. And a group of women from the Damsels in Defense, they're a national organization, came to me. And last year we worked on pepper spray, getting the pepper spray so it could come across state lines in Michigan, and we succeeded, and the governor signed that. So this year's goal is to get stun guns in Michigan. So what do you have your bill in? Does it have a number yet, or what's going on? Uh, yes, it is in, but we are going to tweak it a little bit. We put in there the age of uh, 21. We are now lowering it to the age of 18. Um, as you said, I had a son that served in our armed forces. He's traveled to Afghanistan, and, and for him to not be able to carry a stun gun is, is silly in my book. So we're going to lower that age, so we are going to substitute and bring in a new bell. So what is the difference between a stun gun and a taser? So a stun gun requires, like, close proximity to the attacker. So they're going to have to be right on you, um, attacking you, and then you have to touch them with it. Whereas a taser is going to shoot metal probes. Those probes go about 15 feet, and that's that's the difference between the taser and the stun gun. But this bill that you're talking about only relates to stun guns, right? Correct, correct. Now, when you talk about pepper spray, uh, is that what comes out of the stun? I mean, how does that fit into all this? So it's just a shocking mechanism. I know it sounds pretty bad, but it will it will at least give the person a chance to get away from their attacker. It will immobilize their muscles temporarily. And so, again, they're not going to die from it, but it's going to shock them enough that uh, you can get away. Um, a lot of the new stun guns have, like, alarms on them. They have lights. Um, they have disable pins in case it leaves your hands so the attacker cannot use it against you. So they're, they're pretty, uh, pretty cool. <laughs> how, many, uh, how many other states have in place, uh, and you don't have to answer this now because we've got to take a short break, but you can okay. think about it. How many other states have uh, laws on the books similar to what you're introducing in Michigan? We'll get back to that in just a minute. All right. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned with our special guest, uh, Representative Michelle Hoytinga of the 102nd State House District. She is a second term state representative, first elected in 2016, reelected last November 6th. Uh, the 102nd District is up in the... Uh, northern uh, northwest portion of the lower peninsula it includes wexford county and uh, macosta county in their entireties and that includes the cities of cadillac and big rapids and then in between those two counties is a slice of osceola county which she also represents uh including let's say 
Reed City for people who know where that is. So, uh, Representative Hoyting, uh, when we took our break, I was just asking you, is your bill kind of an astonishing new idea that no other state has employed, or is something like this uh, already in effect in other states? So Danville's in defense, they are a national organization. They are really pushing these laws across the states. It's sweeping actually across the nation. So you have 22 states that have some type of legislation on the book. And so I just want to catch up to those states. Yeah, what other um, pieces of legislation will your uh, gun rights or pro-gun uh, caucus be looking at that you'd like to see accomplished in this coming session? Well, with a Democrat governor, well, even under Governor Snyder, we didn't get a whole lot accomplished. I would like to see constitutional carry. That's just not going to happen. We have to be realistic. Um, one thing, we are, our state is charging $115 for uh, CPL fees, and by law, you should not be making a profit off these fees. So lowering CPL fees, we're one of the highest in the nation. Um, we need to get those lowered. Um, and I believe that's a realistic um, bill that the governor would look at and possibly sign. We shouldn't be making revenues off of permits, permitting fees. So Right. Well, now, everybody just assumes uh, what constitutional carry is, but how would you define it, constitutional carry? I would define it as I don't have to register my gun. A full-blown constitutional carry would would be non-registered, and you can carry, like right now, you can open carry without taking a course, but as soon as you put on a jacket over your gun, you have to have a CPL. So I would even eliminate the CPL. I believe in a person's right to carry, and there's a lot of people that just can't afford to take the whole class and the process, and uh, they shouldn't be discriminated against because they can't afford it. I think everyone has the right to uh, right to carry. It would also lift restrictions for gun-free zones. Um, schools, we could have that discussion, but I'm really tired of disarming everywhere I go and being left unprotected, and so I have a real issue with that. CPL, that stands for Concealed Pistol License? Yes. Okay. Okay, you've got some other committee assignments, too, uh, beyond communications and technology, which you chair for the second straight term. Very impressive. Uh, what are those other committees? So communications and technology is so exciting for me because we still are working on uh, broadband for unserved areas. So that's my top priority. I sit on the insurance committee. Auto no-fault reform is priority personally for me and my constituents, and uh, rug reform. I'm excited about that, getting back into the rug reform. You, reg so, reform, you mean regulatory reform. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, what I'm excited to see, maybe some of the gaming bills come back, um, that those got vetoed by Governor Snyder. I the, think gam- the, the gambling reform. bills? Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, pack, I mean, the package gambler, of gambling I've bills. I've never gambled. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, I, I think they were good bills. People are already gambling, so let's let's put some regulations on it and tax it and have a revenue stream. So uh, when you look at other big issues that are going to face the 100th Michigan legislature, and by the way, that seat, you're, you're already part of an historic session, 100th. 
This is the 100th yep. Michigan legislature. Uh, what yep. are some of the other big issues? You've already hinted at auto insurance rate reform. What do you think? I, I just feel that's priority. I think we covered so much stuff last session. We don't. There's not a lot of big items that need to be done, but the one big item, auto no fault, is certainly the top of the list. And from my colleagues, it's all I'm hearing about. I think we all feel the same, at least the, the majority of us. So Another historic thing yeah. is uh, we have 17 women in the House right now on the Republican side. So that's, uh, we're starting the Women's Caucus. So that's, you know, encouraging for us. And you mean a Republican, caucus. a Republican Women's Caucus? Yeah. 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 Is this the most women there have ever been? In in uh, in the House, I think uh, yes. Republican women anyway. Yes, yes, yeah. and I know the Democrats elected more on their side, but that's all right. Um, we're getting there, and we're doing good, and we've got some really strong women. Um, we have a lot of leaders I see emerging out of this group of gals. So you're you're saying the Republican women uh, is this the first time they've ever actually had a caucus? I'm not real sure about that. I know that we tried to start it last year, and it kind of fizzled out, but we're pretty determined to do a set schedule. We're going to meet every month and just be a good support for one another. Do, do you know how many women you had in the last session? Was it about, like, 10 or 12? Yeah, we had 12, yeah. 12 last sessions. So you've gone up yeah. to 17. I think, as you point out, almost half the Democratic caucus, they've got 52 members, almost half are women. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but there are more women overall. Well, what correct. are what are some of the other issues? What about civil asset forfeiture? Uh, that passed in the House last session. I don't know whether you voted for it. It went over to the Senate. It died there. Now this week, they have reported out of the Senate Judiciary Committee a civil asset forfeiture bill. Maybe you could just explain that a little bit and uh, whether you think if it comes over from the Senate again, you'll vote for it uh, in the House. I absolutely support this. Peter, uh, Representative Lucido at the time, who's now you know, a Senator Lucido, I co-sponsored it last time, and I will fully support it this time. Um, I, I foresee our Speaker and our Senate leader um, having, I foresee a really good relationship there, and if we can get stuff like this done, now's the time to do it. I believe these bills are long overdue. You know, talking about caucuses, uh, gun caucuses, female caucuses, uh, yeah. is there any kind of a northern Michigan caucus? I mean, you're two top leaders, uh, for heaven's yeah. sakes, uh, or you could say three top leaders, are all from northern Michigan. Uh, yeah. Your speaker is from Levering, which is way up near the Straits of Mackinac. Uh, then Tristan Cole is your majority floor leader. He's from Mancelona, I think. Yeah. And then you've got Jason Wentworth, who is the yeah. speaker pro tem, and he's from Farwell, which is not too far from your district near Clare. Uh, do you do you all get together at any point, maybe with Sue Aller and uh, Larry sure Inman in Traverse City <laughs> and, and decide, you know, uh, what what have we got to consider when it comes to northern Michigan? Absolutely. And I feel like we're a very powerful voice. So much of the legislation that comes through seems like it's geared for Detroit or the knuckle and, you know, below the knuckle. And so they formed this. Um, Senator Boer got me involved. 
We formed this a few years back. Um, but it's not just Republicans. It's anyone that's considered above the knuckle. So we now, have... Um, now, where is the knuckle? When you say the knuckle, what is that well, for people who don't say, know? Um, Claire, Claire in north of Claire. It's like the knuckle of, of a hand, like a mitten. Is yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, like what we used to call town line 16, which is kind of an invisible line from Bay City to Muskegon. Yes. That's, yes. that's and, and the knuckle. Yep, and it's not just Republican. We have Representative Kim Ramsey in there. We had Deanda in there. And so it's, it's all of us. Okay, well, listen. We've gotten an earful here from Representative Hoytingus. <laughs> We've covered the waterfront. Thank you very much for being a guest on the Political Insider part of the Michigan Talk Network. Thank you, Representative Hoytingus. Thank you. This is MTN. And you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We are back for a few more minutes. Uh, We had a great interview with Representative Michelle Hoytinga of Manton in Wexford County, uh, the 102nd State House District. But at the beginning of the show, I mentioned a couple of actions being taken by Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. And uh, one of the actions was her request of Attorney General Dana Nessel for an opinion on the constitutionality of a controversial new law changing the rules on how organizations must gather petition signatures for proposed constitutional amendments and initiatives. And uh, this past week, Dana Nessel said, I'm happy to take up this uh, opinion request by Secretary of State Benson, uh, and Dana Nessel then proceeded to make a few kind of unprompted off-script remarks to the effect that she's very concerned about uh, this new law uh, crimping the ability of people to uh, launch petition drives uh, and circumscribing uh, the power of initiative in the state of Michigan uh, without she, Dana Nessel, making any opinion as of yet on the constitutionality of the law, whether she likes it or not. Well, that drew a response from State Representative Jim Lauer of Cedar Lake, which is a small town in northern Montcalm County, uh, who was the prime sponsor of the new law, which is Public Act 608 of 2018, And he issued uh, the following statement, and I'm just going to quote what he said. Uh, He's pretty uh, lathered up about it. Uh, He says, and I'm quoting, the simple truth is what Dana Nessel has said this week isn't justice. As the Attorney General's remarkably biased statement this week made clear, This is a foregone conclusion worked out in secret among politicians and party leaders. It is wrong, and it needs to stop. And I'm continuing here. This is a quote from Representative Jim Lauer. The people of Michigan absolutely have a right to know if out-of-state millionaires and billionaires are paying for signatures and trying to rewrite Michigan law. That's common sense, and it is the reason I introduced this bill. 
I believe in greater transparency in our elections, but it's hard to make it a reality when Dana Nessel and Jocelyn Benson are plotting together in back rooms to keep the people of Michigan in the dark. And he's continuing here. These are his quotes. Attorneys general are supposed to make honest judgments based on a thorough analysis of the facts. They're not supposed to game the system and work out the questions after they've already decided the answers or pick and choose which laws they want to enforce based on their personal political preference. And they're not supposed to ignore the same Constitution that they recently swore to uphold, which expressly provides that no person exercising powers of one branch shall exercise powers properly belonging to another branch. If Dana Nessel and Jocelyn Benson wanted to rewrite duly enacted laws, then they should have sought seats in the legislature. Instead, they've decided to abuse their powers and play dirty politics. The people of Michigan deserve better, unquote. Warm and fuzzy letter to follow. I'm just joking. But obviously, Representative Lauer is not a happy camper. Uh, Maybe this is a slight overreaction or maybe a great overreaction to what Jocelyn Benson and Dana Nessel are up to, but that is a statement of the sponsor of the new law that Dana Nessel will be ruling on in terms of his constitutionality. And by the way, how powerful or strong or important is an attorney general's opinion? Well, it has the force of law unless it's challenged and overturned by a court. Uh, If there is no legal challenge to it, And in this case, I think there probably will be if uh, Dana Nessel rules the way Representative Lauer fears she will. Uh, If there's no challenge, uh, the attorney general's opinion has the force of law. So we'll see what develops there. Now, there was one other thing that happened this week. We touched on it just a little bit uh, in the interview with State Representative Michelle Hoytinga, and that is... uh, the issue of civil asset forfeiture. Uh, Someone would have to be convicted of a crime before police could keep through civil asset forfeiture money or property seized during an investigation uh, under legislation that moved out of the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, this past week. Now, this legislation is sponsored by Senator Peter Lucido of Shelby Township in Macomb County is called Senate Bill 2, and it became the first bill reported out of a legislative committee in the 2019-2020 session after members took roughly 45 minutes of testimony on the matter uh, this week. After the hearing, Peter Lucido Uh, who, as I say, is chair of the Senate Judiciary and Public Safety Committee. He's also, by the way, uh, chair of a new committee that's been formed called Advice and Consent, uh, which has the power to fly spec, uh, scrutinize, screen, whatever you want to call it, gubernatorial appointments, uh, which has been given a higher profile in this 100th Michigan legislature than it has ever had before. It's going to be a standing committee all by itself. 
chaired by Peter Lucido. But Peter Lucido said after the civil asset forfeiture bill was moved out of his committee, uh, he saw no reason why his bill shouldn't move quickly on the Senate floor. And he said, and I'm quoting here, this bill sat in the Senate Judiciary Committee last year for weeks. It should have passed last session in the 99th legislature uh, saying that the same theme uh, he's opened the hearing with when he testified on the measure. He said, quote, this has already been voted on last session in the House. It has bipartisan support. I think it passed overwhelmingly in the House, by the way, but it got over to the Senate and it died in committee. It was never even taken up. Uh, This week, there was no testimony offered against the legislation, uh, although the Michigan Association of Chiefs of Police turned in a card opposing it. Uh, Support for the bill came from a broad cross-section of groups across the ideological spectrum, including uh, the Mackinac Center for Public Policy, which is considered a conservative uh, group, Uh, the ACLU, which is considered very liberal, Uh, the National Federation of Independent Businesses, Uh, the Bankers Association, and the District Attorneys Association. Uh, The Waterford police chief uh, named Scott Underwood uh, said he began his career as an undercover narcotics detective. He testified in favor of the bill. Uh, A particular state senator, a freshman named Tom Barrett, Republican of Potterville, which is in Eaton County just west of Lansing, He questioned why property valued at $50,000 or more isn't covered under the measure and was told it was the result of a compromise. Another senator, this one a Democrat, Jeff Irwin of Ann Arbor, said he believes the bill should go further uh, in the direction of no civil asset forfeiture at all, any kind. Uh, Forget the $50,000 cap. Uh, as some states have done, but he said he'd still support Senate Bill 2. Amber McCann, who is the spokesperson for Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky, uh, told reporters that it is yet to be decided how soon Senate Bill 2 will be brought up on the Senate floor. I'll just mention one other thing. It's a little bit ironic. The chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee in the last Senate last session of the legislature was Rick Jones and Rick Jones was best known for being the sponsor of more bills that got enacted into law than any other Senator. Uh, And yet now that he's left, he was term limited. He seems to be best known for blocking this particular bill from getting anywhere. So irony of irony. Uh, At one point, Rick Jones was hailed as the champion of getting bills passed, and now he's being hissed as a villain by people who like civil asset forfeiture uh, being taken off the books, and they view uh, Rick Jones as having been an obstructionist. Uh, Not a fair rap, but that's what happens when you're term limited and you're not in office anymore. That's it for this week. I'll be back next week with another exciting show. Thank you for listening.